we're going to give them content so that we can teach the business of writing well. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, this week we're going to switch it up a bit and play for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Because the webinar itself is over an hour, we're splitting it into two parts, but we'll post both of them this week. And we'll post any links or websites mentioned in this recording at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Well, good evening. Andrew Pudua here at the IEW headquarters in eastern Oklahoma. We had a freshening rain and hopefully the fall crispness will come soon. I am Andrew Pudua and you can see my uh, smiling visage there with the headphones ready to go. This is the first of our monthly webinars that we do during the school year. And as you know, this is uh, about units one and two starting strong in September. But boy, we've got people from all over the world, Japan and Alaska and all over the U.S. and who knows where else. Welcome to everyone. We've got school teachers and tutors and school coaches and lots of homeschooling moms and CC tutors and CC families. And I don't know who else, maybe a few teenagers tuning in. And so uh, really a wonderful group. And I'm very excited that you're ready to get going starting strong with the structure and style syllabus. So unit one, we are talking about laying a foundation and so just going over some of the basics here. On the right you see the little poster that we have created for unit one. You are certainly welcome to make a poster yourself. That's what we for many years, decades actually, were suggesting that people do is make their own posters. Then we discovered that many people would rather buy posters than make them. So we, we make them and they're actually available to you in a PDF format with your premium content uh, or you can uh, buy a large size if you're teaching a classroom. We want to uh, just work, learn to work with keywords, develop a basic outline format, learn to communicate main ideas from keyword outlines, and then to choose selections, source text uh, independently, you know, when possible, create keyword outline and retell those ideas. And we also, of course, work in our basic public speaking into Unit 1, where it fits so nicely. So you're going to be wanting to look for short one-paragraph articles or stories, which are at or below the reading level of the student. I am a big fan of Aesop fables. I have discovered that you can use Aesop fables with pretty much anyone, whether they're in grade 2 or grade 10. Nobody complains. They come in a variety of flavors and a variety of levels of sophistication of vocabulary. 
and uh, they all kind of are easier to remember since they have a little storyline and a message of some sort usually. As Julie has put up, there is a great website, aesopfables.com. They've got 100 and, I don't know, 70 some fables. I didn't even know there were so many. So you can pick and choose, print them out in a font size that's appropriate for your students. And you've got uh, unlimited free Aesop fables. Then uh, also we recommend, as I said, the posters and reminder signs. So you can buy them from us or you can print them yourself. And then under our school's material, we have the full-size posters that would be good for a classroom with many children. And those posters go through all nine units, plus have some of the uh, key style uh, word lists and stylistic elements on them as well. So when you begin teaching Unit 1, you will, of course, uh, want to begin with a demonstration group participation. You know, hand out the keyword outline or put it up on the screen or... I was going to say overhead projector, but I'm not sure anyone actually has those lovely transparency-based overhead projectors, which were so nice. Now, of course, we, we have to use video projectors and PowerPoint. Everything world, world's more complicated. But you can also just throw out a source text to the students. And if you're at home, you've only got a couple of kids, just print it out. But you want to do that together. So the first source text. I would say always do it together with your student or students so that you're modeling everything very tightly. I usually uh, allow the students to select the keywords. If they have suggestions that don't quite work, I might say, well, you know, that's one possibility. Are there any other possibilities? And try to pick and choose among the group the ones that are going to allow everyone to be the most successful. And then we use uh, one to three, uh, three maximum three keywords from each sentence. That's the unit one and two standard is three words maximum from each sentence. When we move on to unit four, we're going to be changing the rules. We'll be a little more flexible. As you probably know, in the beginning, it's best to start a bit on the strict side because if you don't, well, you know, someone will say, oh, can I have four? Well, sure. Well, she could have four. I can have five, five, six. What's the difference? And then pretty soon you'd have students uh, writing whole sentences and the essence of the activity of choosing keywords will be lost. So you do want to be kind of strict in the beginning. And they may not choose the best words in the beginning, but they gradually will improve. Then you can, well, you can either do it as a group or, as is indicated on the slide here, you can have students get into pairs and retell the content from the notes. If you have access to either the old or the new teaching writing structure and style included with those uh, DVDs of the teacher course are some demonstration lessons of me teaching children. So you will be able to see uh, exactly how I would do this with children in different age groupings. So there's a grade 1-2 group and there's a grade 3-5 to five elementary a grade six to eight middle school and then a high school workshop. So I think those are very helpful. If you haven't seen a class of me teaching children, that is going to be the best way for you to get the good vision, I think, on how we do this and, and how to get started yourself. Then when they tell it back, it's important for them not to feel like they have to say it back exactly like the original. So we're not saying you know, you have to remember every word in the sentence. We don't want to test the student. It's not a test of them. It's not a test of their memory. It's really a test of the outline to see if 
they can make sense of that outline. And if they can, well, the outline probably works. And if not, then maybe the outline needs to be adjusted or changed, the keywords changed to help the student be more successful. And of course, we want to always be sure the students are speaking incomplete sentences. Because what we're hoping, of course, is that they'll speak in complete sentences and then they'll be able to write more easily in complete sentences. And so we're, we're taking the source text, which has complete sentences, removing keywords from each sentence, putting them in the outline, removing the original, and then having them verbally tell back those ideas. And the good thing is, is I would say, you know, 90 some percent of native speakers of English will do this somewhat automatically. Occasionally, I may get a student who cannot say a complete sentence from the key words, and that's usually some type of speech impediment or learning challenge or foreign language issue. In that case, I'd go so far as to just dictate and have them re you know, repeat it back, dictate, repeat back, dictate, repeat back. If this is your second year of teaching this, or third or fourth, who knows, what I have discovered is that uh, summer is hot. And when it's hot, evaporation sits in. And we not only have evaporation of liquids, we sometimes have evaporation of, uh, <laughs> of things that students learned the previous school year. So don't assume they remember everything that they did or should have learned and remembered. I start at the very beginning every year assuming that nobody remembers anything. And then they can prove to me. They can show, oh, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're talking about. I remember, oh yeah, we did that. And so then that's uh, joy for them. And so then we don't have to. Julie, a couple of people are asking about the live, uh, the student class video. And I know that if people have the premium content, then they can watch that online streaming. And of course it is in the set of DVDs, both the original TWSS and the new one. It's in the back of the packet. And it says uh, student workshop. So put a couple links up there if possible so that people can find that more easily. I feel it's very, very helpful if your source texts are at or below the reading level of the student. You don't want it to be too difficult right out of the gate. You want them to be able to read it, understand it pretty easily. Go ahead and make the keyword outline without too many unfamiliar words, too long of sentences. And so that at or below is, is a very good guideline, I think. And I am always pointing out that if you want kids to get engaged with this process of writing, using interesting text, things that are you know a little disgusting, like the blobfish. You see a marvelous picture right there. It is a real creature. Lives in the depths of the ocean. Go look it up for yourself. Actually, I think we have some information on the blobfish here. Anything dangerous, disgusting, humorous, that is almost guaranteed to attract, especially the boys, and cause them to be a little more interested in writing their summaries and describing these unusual things. But like I said, uh, Aesop fables are great for everyone. This is one that we used in the video for the primary grades, K12. You can see how short it is. You can see that it has only four sentences. You can see that the sentences themselves are short, and the vocabulary is appropriate for young children. So this particular source text could be used with, I think, very young children as soon as they're able, basically, to read somewhat independently and copy words somewhat accurately. 
this would be one notch up. We have put in our source texts in the teacher's books, the classroom supplements, the Flesh Kincaid reading level. You, of course, have access to this idea on Microsoft Word. It'll evaluate the text you write and see what grade level, uh, based kind of on word length and sentence length and sophistication of vocabulary. But the crow in the picture, here's another example. This would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine sentences. That's almost twice as long and would be probably very useful for student, you know, grade four or five, maybe six. Uh, hagfish, this is one of my favorites because uh, it really grabs the boys. Hagfish, also called the slime, is a truly hideous creature. Its 18-inch long body is covered with special glands that can emit a sticky slime. In fact, one hagfish can produce up to a gallon of this mucus-like substance at one time. The hagfish protects itself with this slime, which can suffocate other fish by clogging their gills. When it eats, the hagfish feeds by attaching itself to a passing fish like a leech. It then bores its way into its unsuspecting host with a specialized rasping tongue. Once inside, the hagfish will eat its victim's flesh from the inside out. Hagfish is found worldwide, but usually at depths of around 4,000 feet. This type of source text is just ideal for boys. You know, it, it vomits out slime, it clogs the gills of its enemies, it sucks flesh out of its prey like a leech. It's perfect. Of course, some of you moms are kind of cringing. Ooh, yuck. But I tell you, there isn't a boy worth his salt who wouldn't rather write a little report on the hagfish than something supposedly important like whatever, Betsy Ross and the flag, I don't know. Here's the blobfish for you. This is at a higher level. It's got words like inaccessibility and buoyant and gelatinous. And so some of the words here make this a little trickier. We consider this a level C source text. And as Julie noted, when you get the link to the recording, you can download the slides and, and you can actually use these wonderful little source texts if you like. So just to remind you of a few of those points, you want to find those source texts at or below. Use interesting. Aesop's fables are great. Don't skip the verbal retelling. And we're going to do this, of course, in a couple minutes, do a little exercise together. And don't feel like you have to do it only once and remember it perfectly and then go on to unit two or whatever. You can read a few times the source text, talk about it, be sure students fully understand it. You can retell from the keywords several times as well. And so you want to be sure that understanding is, is good before then moving into the unit two type of activity. I want to take a look at just a few of these questions before we move on. Jenny is saying that a ninth grader thinks he knows it all. Ha ha, surprise, surprise. And his outlines are, are a little bit disorganized and he wants to go through them. Is there anything you can tell him to get him on board with the preliminary units? Yeah, I'd say, you know, do it or die, you know. We'll, uh, we'll punish you miserably if you don't cooperate. No, I'm joking. I do think if you can find for a ninth grader content that is both challenging and interesting, that's very helpful. I do think your, your promise of saying, hey, you know, let's just do a few of these, refresh yourself on this, and move on. The other thing that's nice sometimes to mention to uh, students in high school or getting toward high school is, hey, you know, this is a, a skill that you might be able to teach someone someday. And so practicing it again, working with the keywords, telling it back, even though it seems easy to you because you've done it, 
being able to explain this, being able to demonstrate and show it to someone, maybe one of your friends who didn't learn it, or you go off to college and you can show it to someone there, or you can teach a, a younger sibling, or maybe in a couple of years when you're older, you can start a little class and make some money teaching writing uh, to uh, younger children. Uh, those are some thoughts, but you know, I will confess, Jenny, if I had the uh, magic words for motivating ninth graders to do anything you want them to do, I would be truly, truly wealthy. But those are a few thoughts, and and I'd say you know, just do it, and like you said, move on quickly. Jill, I'm going to hold on to that ly before you've got some good questions there. Deborah, I, you ask, you know, this is your second year using the program with one child, third year with another. Do you have to go back to Keyword Outline from Sentences or start right up with Keyword Outline from Fact? That's your choice. You could go back to Unit 2 and just do a couple, but if you feel like they really do know it uh, and they haven't forgotten the basic idea and you want to jump right in with Unit 3 uh, and or Unit 4, um, I don't see any problem with that really. It's, it's your call. You just, you know, I always I always err, especially with groups of children that I don't know well, I always err on the side of assuming everybody forgot everything I taught them and then making them kind of, you know, prove that they didn't. Linnell, good question. Do we put up the poster while teaching the unit? That is the idea is that in your classroom or your your space where you're teaching, you would have some dedicated area on the wall for your posters and word lists and reminder signs. And so those posters and reminder signs would change as you go through the nine units. The word lists could be there and then perhaps grow once they get too long to live on the wall, moving them into a notebook, a resource notebook of some sort. But yes, Mrs. Ingham and Dr. Webster's ideal was that the walls become kind of a you know living reference for children and the younger the children the more valuable this is so that they need a ly word they can look up on the wall see the list they need to remember the story sequence chart they look up they see the poster for unit three story sequence chart so that that's the ideal of course some people are, are camping out in churches borrowing other people's space for classes or co-op or school you know if you can't do it you can't do it but ideally you know make the th thinking of walls as that ever-present living helpful resource is very good I think Kelly you're asking about grammar and uh, I will hold on to that idea because when we get to talk about dress-ups and the stylistic techniques then I'll mention the fact uh, again that when you teach those style techniques you're teaching more grammar honestly I mean this sounds like an exaggeration but it's true if you teach the stylistic techniques dress-ups and openers over a course of weeks, months, or years, your kids will know more grammar than a large majority of college students in America today. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. And then, of course, depending on the age of your students, you might want to take a look at our Fix It series. Maybe, Julie, you can put up a link to the Fix It, and uh, Kelly could take a look at that. This is a good question from April. Do they need to put the keywords in order of the original text? The answer is no. However, sometimes it is easier for students, especially younger ones, to reconstruct the order, you know, reconstruct the sentence when the words are in order. So one thing I recommend, and you might have heard this in the video course, is that the students can underline the keywords in the source text, and they can do that in any order they want. 
then once they've underlined the sentences keywords, then they transfer those three into the outline on the piece of paper in the order they come. Then read the next sentence, underline the next two or three keywords in any order you wish, they wish, but when you transfer them into the keyword outline, put them in the sequential order. And that usually helps with recall and comprehension. However, if they really feel, oh, it would make more sense to me to reorganize this and put this one before that one, no problem to it. One of the things I always point out to teachers is if a student is smart enough to say, can I do it this way? <laughs> Usually, they're smart enough to do it that way, and so my answer is yes. But even though one student says, oh, could I do it this way? Yes. That doesn't mean I should try to get everyone else to do it because they might not be ready for that exactly in the same way that student who asked the question is. So I would just say, you know, bottom line, be flexible on that. Amory, you're asking the range of the reading level for the continuation course level B. Um, basically, that is a grade six to eight course, plus or minus one or two years. I think it could go anyway. The source text, I think, would all fall in that range. But again, it's always better err on the side of having something be a little easier than harder. You want students to have good success, not be frustrated or overwhelmed, especially in the beginning when you're coming right off summer or if this is your first or second year. So, you know, you can take a look at some of those materials, uh, samples I think are online, and you can also call our office and they can, you know, look and see, okay, they could read a few to you, you could get a feeling for that as well. I like this question, Maggie, very intelligent. Could we, or do, or you, could you do half of a long paragraph? The answer is absolutely. In fact, the more I have taught this over the decades, the more I realize any source text will work. And if you've got, you know, a sidebar in a school textbook, or you find an article that's a page long, and you don't want to do that much, just take the first seven sentences, first six sentences, whatever. So yes, you can just, you know, chop, truncate something and stop right there. And it works just as well for the most part. So yes, be very flexible. And don't feel like, oh, I have to find the the perfect, you know, length of source tech. That's that's a mistake that teachers often make the first year is they think, oh, I have to find something that looks exactly like the sample in the seminar workbook. And, you know, the truth is no, you can use almost anything. And of course, you know, most of our materials provide you with some source text to get going with too as well. Jennifer, uh, your question here is a very good one. When having a student who has great difficulty forming a sentence from keywords, write the outline. Is it better to provide them with a complete sentence or describe what they say and discuss during editing? My son is deaf and has language delays. That's kind of a unit two question, but um, the answer to your question is you could do either. You can kind of try to dictate what he could do next. You can fill in the gaps, or if he wants to tell you and you write it down, then he copies it over. That's okay as well. You know, when you have a child who has language issues, and especially, you know, ones that are typical of, you know, a hearing disability, you want to just give all as much help as necessary, build a momentum of success, and all power to you. God bless you. Um, by the way, I would mention the new teaching writing instruction style discs and the student workshops therein, all 12 of those discs, now have English and Spanish subtitles. So if you are or know of people who are deaf or hearing impaired 
and they would benefit from being able to read the subtitles of the class. Those are now available uh, both in the DVD version that you buy as well as the online version. You can watch the subtitles there. So that's a good one. Teresa, this is a good question. I'm going to just, I, I, you've got so many good questions. I Boy, when I said I'm going to answer every single question, I might have been a little over ambitious. I'm, I'm going to speed up here. Teresa asked a question about presentation and public speaking. So I want to go ahead to the next slide and talk a little bit about public speaking. Dr. Webster, um, I, the whole Blended Sunsight team, we all feel that public speaking is very important. In fact, Webster doesn't like the fact that people call it a writing program. He he calls it a verbal and written communication program. So very important here. If you have a co-op class or a CC group or, or if you're a school teacher and you've got a built-in classroom, that's great because you've got a ready-to-go audience and you don't have to muster one up. If you're a family working kind of on your own, what I would recommend is try to find another family or two that would also like to do this kind of together, maybe once or twice a month, get together and do public speaking morning and let each student prepare something and uh, and then you know have some popcorn, play some games and go home. But uh, I, I do feel uh, that it is a tremendous blessing for children to have the opportunity to speak out loud in front of peers from notes at a young age and to do that for years growing up. It's probably one of the greatest leadership aptitude programs that you could create. So you can use, of course, your keyword outlines. You want to keep things short. Short is good. Don't worry if uh, two of the students or three or four or more in a class want to do the same presentation from the same keyword outline. That's OK. You know, no, Children don't have a problem with repetition. We, we tend to get a little uh, on the side of thinking, oh, you know, we did that already. But, uh, you know, children can do it again and again. And, and God himself can do it again and again. You know, every morning, you know, let the sun rise. <laughs> have it happen again, again, again. So don't fear that. It's good for them. And when you are working with your English language learners, your students with special needs, retelling from notes is one of the absolute best things you can do for improved reading comprehension, improved retention. Um, you know as well as I do, I don't have to say it, but it's always good for you to remind ourselves, the best way to learn something is what? Teach it to someone else. And when you're doing a public speaking presentation from a keyword outline, telling the story, telling the information, representing it to other students, to your peers, to adults, anyone, you're actually learning that content better. So reading comprehension will go up and speaking will go up. And then our little system, which works so well, has a couple simple rules. And, and that is that you can look at the keywords and think of the sentence, but then you want to look up from the paper and say the sentence. And so the rule then is that you can't speak while your eyes are on the paper. And so this this is a tremendous, I mean, you can almost look at kids and watch them doing this and feel like they're just exerting their willpower over their neurons, just forcing those brain cells to make connections. And it helps to build the memory a little bit. It, allows them to have some eye contact 
And I'll tell you, as, as someone who's helped, uh, you know, work with and coach debate teams for years, one of the hardest things to get teenagers to do is talk to people and not look at the paper the whole time. So you glance at the paper, look at the three keywords, think of a sentence, look up at the people, remember the sentence you just thought of, say it, look back at the paper, look at the keywords, think of a sentence, look up at the people, remember the sentence you just thought of and say it. And when you practice this, it becomes just so very, very powerful and effective. So I really encourage you to look at public speaking. Again, if you need a little more description or explanation, the videos I think present this pretty well. And the seminar workbook has uh, several sections in it on uh, how to uh, practice and do the public speaking. And if you could do, you know, just a short little keyword outline, one, two, maybe three maximum paragraphs worth of, of a speech, you know, once or twice in a week, or I'm really once a week, once or twice a month would be great. Then they get 15, 17, 18 times a year minimum to do that. It would become... Uh, more and more second nature. All right, so um, I did, now I want to go back and address Teresa's question because it was interesting. Here's what I suggest. Do public speaking from keyword outlines. But when they write the paper, I actually prefer to read the paper out loud to the class rather than having them read their paper to the class for a couple reasons. One is um, I can read it better than they will, so I can put phrasing and nuance and expression into the words. I can make it sound better than they will make it sound, and that's good. They get to hear me read their paper, and other people get the best possible impression. The second thing is it eliminates problems of you know kids not speaking loud enough or getting their nose buried in the paper. It's good to be able to read in front of people but I would focus initially on the speaking from the keyword outline. Then I, the teacher, also as I'm reading the papers to the class, I can uh, showcase certain things and say, oh, wow, did you hear that wonderful uh, strong verb? Let me read that sentence again. What a great verb. You know, or maybe they stumble into some advanced technique and they pull an alliteration by accident and say, whoa, that is great. That's a good advanced technique you did there, alliteration. So I can interrupt myself and it's not a problem. I can read, comment as I go, make it sound good. They get to hear the paper being read to themselves. And uh, so that's what I tend to do. Focus on public speaking from the keyword outlines and then allow, uh, and then have the, the students let me read the paper to the whole class. So I hope that answered your question there, Teresa. Okay, we gotta move on. We're half past our time. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Unit 2. Obviously, many things are the same. The goal is to retell, but now in writing, using the keywords. We're going to give them content so that we can teach the business of writing well. So we eliminate the problem of, I don't know what to write, by giving everyone something to write. And then we can get about the business of how to teach that well. And we're going to, in that process, not only model things like double spacing, the composition, no erasing, but also then introducing the beginning of the stylistic techniques, the dress-up chart. And I saw some question over there on the side about the easy uh, plus one rule. So yes, I'll be sure and try to explain that tonight. But the idea then is that you're going to 
do this together and then ultimately the goal and it may not happen your first year out that's okay but they would uh, begin to be able to choose a source create a keyword outline rewrite from those notes without copying exactly and then use a checklist to uh, dress up those summaries and produce a final draft <laughs> one interesting funny little thing that just came to my mind I should mention too about source texts is that really you know any source text will work I had a mom call me up this is I don't know a decade or more ago but remember she called me up and she said um my nine-year-old son has got these Lego catalog brochure things and he likes to make keyword outlines from the Lego catalogs and then write up stories using the keywords from the Lego cat is that okay and of course I you know said under my breath woman count your blessings you know because yes but yes even something as mundane as a Lego catalog would work in this whole process of writing from keywords and of course the relevancy level would be very high for the child who's doing it the the thing that was you know I thought particularly in, amusing was she said he's doing this in his spare time I'm not making him do it <laughs> so but yes you're gonna use the same types of source materials at or below reading level they can be fiction like Aesop fables it can be nonfiction like the blobfish, the hagfish, the Lego catalog, parables from the Bible. I mean, almost, really anything a child can read and isn't too long will work well for Unit 1 and 2. Uh, we've got the posters and reminder signs. And basically, same process. You begin with a demonstration, read the story together, create the keyword outline, remove the original text, and retell it verbally. All that's the same. That's Unit 1 stuff that you're now doing in unit two and then the added thing is to write the story or rewrite the content write that article uh, from the outline and of course initially doing that maybe together on the whiteboard and the students just copy down everyone's doing the same thing and then ultimately once that becomes easy then the students are going to be able to do that more and more on their own once they're able to kind of get the hang of it, and for a lot of kids, you know, it doesn't take long to get the hang of it. Uh, you know, when I teach a class, I think, you know, one time through one Aesop fable, and by the second one, there's already kids in that class working ahead of me, uh, choosing keywords and putting them down and, and anticipating the whole process. Uh, and certainly by a third or fourth time through, I think most kids are going to get it. And so you want to teach some dress-ups. Now, we have in the new TWSS kind of ordered the dress-ups so they are consistent with how we put them in the theme-based books. While there's no you know, hard and fast law that says you've got to do them in this order, over the years we've kind of seen that this order works conveniently. The LY adverb first. Uh, all children can relate to this. I mean, children are motion-based creatures. Adverbs make a lot more sense to them than adjectives, especially the boys. They're easy to find, easy to think of, easy to put into a sentence. They are very flexible. They can often go in many different places in a sentence. And so it's a rare case where I meet a, you know, even a six or seven-year-old child who can't uh, figure out a way to put an LY adverb in a sentence. Then we move to the who, which clause, which is a little less colloquial, a little less familiar for some. It's a grammatical construction. And uh, so now we're talking about adding information or connecting to existing 
ideas in the keyword outline with the who for people or the which for things. And those are the first two. Here's a little chart that shows all of them. And the formula, and I harp on this again and again in the video seminar, is that you only teach a new stylistic technique as what you have taught so far has become, what's the answer? Easy. And so the, the rule is you only have on the checklist what has become easy plus one more thing. That's where we get the little formula, EZ plus one, as a mnemonic to help you remember. And I can't tell you the speed at which they will become easy. But this little chart shows you how you kind of walk through the units according to the calendar. So unit two, September, unit three, October, unit four, November, etc. So you move through the units according to the calendar. You don't have to master and do perfectly independently all these units because you're going to come back and do them next year and they're not cumulative. Your uh, ability to do unit four is not really based on a mastery of unit three. They're different models. They're different ways of getting keywords. And so it's okay to be helping with the units. However, the stylistic techniques are cumulative. So once you teach an LY word, you're going to require that in every paragraph of every composition for a long time. And once that's easy, and only once that's easy, do you want to add in more complexity with a who, which clause. So you go with a who, LY, and a who, which, and that could take weeks. It could take months. It could take years, depending on the age and aptitude of your child. This little bounce-in chart, I'll play it again, is just a possible speed at which you could drop in these stylistic techniques. And this is pretty fast. This would be a speed that would be probably appropriate for a upper, middle, or high school, whereas elementary might go half that speed or less. And so you might spend you know, two months just on the LY and the who, which, and then finally drop in the strong verb, work with that for another three or four weeks, drop in the quality adjective. You might actually spend you know, a whole year building up the six dress-ups. That would be OK, too. You're in no rush. And what's important is that you have mastery with what you've taught so far. And, and by the way, my definition of easy, easy means you can do it without much help, and it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. So without much help, it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. Then you can say, all right, it's pretty easy. There's no complaining. Kids got it. And you can then move on. We do have to stop here because we're out of time for today. But because we don't want to leave you hanging too long, we'll go ahead and post the rest of the content later this week. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.